I'm John, and I have the privilege of being a member of this family. And, and while Brady is a gift to us from God as a pastor, uh, I share the same role as everybody else that's sitting out there looking at me this morning as a minister. Because that, what, that is what God has called us to do. Brady and Ricky and Clint and Christine and our staff, Billy, their job is to equip us for the ministry of the gospel. Um, and this is a great place to do that. So if you're with us visiting, I'm going to tell you this is a great place to be home. And if you're watching online, it's worth sometimes getting in your car and coming and being with us. So we're happy to be here. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians, pretty familiar verse, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, when I started, when Brady had asked me, hey, this week of the last week of the year, if you'd like to preach, I went, oh my gosh, yes. And then I am in a tough spot. Anytime we fill in, anytime Brady lets us preach, he has this luxury of having a series that he goes, man, I can unpack stuff over a long time. And we get up here, we get like one shot. And it is hard to go, oh, I gotta cram all this stuff into one thing. And I was originally thinking I was gonna do something on the life of Job. Um, but in that study, it really led me to looking at Joe's life, I think, where we want to go in, in 1 Thessalonians. So our aim today, as we look at going through this study, is really going to be that this isn't an impossible list of commands. They're really practical. And I really hope we'll come away seeing them less as commands and more as really what God desires for us as our character. And, and not just us as individuals, because Brady mentioned it. We're going to be reading through the Gospels, to, I mean, the whole Word of God together this year, and we should read it together. This amazing book that God has given us was written to groups, and it was meant to be read and heard by groups. I will tell you my personal study. I love going to the y'all version of the Bible that's out online. Uh, one, because it has really good Greek lexicon kind of that stuff, but you can actually pick whatever plural you want. But there's so many yous in the Bible that we just read as personal, but they're really plural yous. And so you can read it with y'all. You know, he who began a good work in y'all is going to be faithful to complete it until the... But if you're not from the South, you can actually make it say, you guys or however you want to, but what you get is you get the corporate sense that this book was written to. And there are so many things that it says to us that we take as individuals, and that's not bad, but what it really means is it's talking to us as a fellowship of Oak Grove, the body of Christ. And so I hope that we'll look at that as well too. So before we get going into unpacking this a little bit, I want to give a little bit of context because I think context is key. And that any time you come to God's Word, you should really kind of first want to identify what is it saying? I mean, what did the writer mean? What did the readers hear? And kind of get a little understanding of what's going on in the context of it before we just jump to application. It avoids a lot of heartache that can occur when we just kind of misconstrue some stuff. So on Paul's second missionary journey, uh, he's with Silas. He has a new partner. 
Uh, he picks up his buddy Timothy. <laughs> They're kind of going through this. They land in Thessalonica, and it's in an odd kind of way, too, because the Spirit prevents them from going to Asia, prevents them to go into for a few places. They have this vision of somebody in Macedonia, modern-day Greece, saying, come over to us. And so the gospel is going to make a stretch over there, and one of the cities that they stopped at was Thessalonica. And I love it because it's Acts 17, if you want to go find out where that happens. Paul, it says that he's there for three Sabbaths in the synagogues, reasoning with them out of the Scripture, explaining who Jesus is. And it says in that city there was a whole bunch of Greek uh, Gentile converts, and they responded to the message of Jesus, and so did some of the Jewish. But as typical with Paul, the people who were running the Jewish synagogues got a little threatened, got a little angry, and so he's there for a while, but they eventually stir up a lot of trouble, and they have to kind of escape town. Uh, and this is one of those few times where they just got to leave without being beaten or thrown in prison or having something horrible done to them. Uh, and so Paul is somebody who has real love for this young congregation, this young little church in Thessalonica, and so as they're traveling on, he sends Timothy back there to just check on how they're doing. And he comes back with this report. And out of that, Paul writes them a letter. Now, we have in our Bible what we call, you know, First and Second Thessalonians. Who knows? Maybe Paul wrote five letters to him. I mean, we just have those two. But the first letter that he wrote to them, he wrote really for three primary reasons, I think. Um, first, he really wanted to encourage these, this young church. He really wanted to say to the, the believers you know, in Thessalonica that they were making good progress in their faith, and he wanted them to, to keep going. And secondly, he really wanted to correct some misinformation that was going on about them. Paul was somebody who was often found his reputation a little bit uh, slandered at times. That shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said, hey, guess what? If you're going to be mine, you're going to follow me, the world hated me first, and it's going to hate you if you follow me. And we act like, oh, my gosh, people don't like us, and I want to go, kind of what Jesus said would happen. In fact, if you don't have some adversity or a little conflict or some adversarial kind of things going on in your life, I would go, mm, maybe you need to recheck what's going on there and how closely you're following Jesus. And then thirdly, he wrote to give them some additional instructions. Uh, and that's the part that we're going to, this is the tail end of that part. These really practical instructions at the end of this book where he says to them, rejoice and pray and give thanks because that is God's will for us. And so we're going to break all those down and again it's our characteristics and as i think about those rejoice pray give thanks i really kind of think man those go hand in hand with faith and hope and love that's all in a god who is faithful and good and sovereign and so we're going to just break down each one of those a little bit. So rejoice always. What does that mean? Well, first of all, I think that's our appropriate response to faith. Rejoice, it's an amazing kind of word. It's used a ton uh, in 
the whole Bible, and and in the New Testament, the followers of Jesus rejoiced. In fact, that that word shows up about 70 times as a command. Uh, It shows up that much, maybe it's something we ought to pay attention to. And in fact, Jesus used it sometimes as a greeting, which I think is kind of cool. Shouldn't that be how we are when we meet one another? When When we're meeting or parting, we should rejoice in each other as our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we are knit together with the Holy Spirit. That is one of those things that, again, Jesus said, hey, people are going to know you're my disciples. How? Because of how you love one another. And so there should be a sense of rejoicing. Now, the word itself is really kind of a verb-adverb combination, where rejoice is telling us to delight in God, first and foremost, but it also kind of has a context that it should be the the state that we exist in all the time like it should be a perpetual it's not a task it's not a thing to do it's a who to be that we should be marked by rejoicing now marcy and i have had a an opportunity rich uh life story uh to rejoice at times um I mean, I'm not going to go into our whole testimony, but that amazing woman married me uh, when I was in the middle of chemotherapy. So we both get, uh, if, if you go to a Relay for Life, Marcy and I both get to have survivor and caregiver shirts. Um, that's a pretty elite club. Um, part of me wants to go, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but in all seriousness, I want to go, mm, maybe I would. Because I will tell you that what, what it has led us in is a journey where I think if you look at our lives, they are all smudged with God's fingerprints, and it's easy to see. And sometimes for us, our struggles are that we can be so self-sufficient that we fail to see God's fingerprints on our lives and what it is that he's doing. And those are good, good things. I know that when we were um, in Europe, uh, doing missionary stuff, we had a chance to go with a team of people that we were doing ministry with to Majorca. I know it sounds exotic. And on our first day in Majorca, we rented these mopeds and we were going to go see the famous lighthouse at Majorca. And so we're all on these mopeds and it is a switchback up and this little mountain. And as we're kind of going up and down this mountain, Marcy and I are riding together on a moped. Uh, there's a car coming down and so we kind of scoot over and as we scoot to the corner of this switchback the back tire in our moped blows out and so we just slide into the little rock embankment which is really in hindsight not a thing it would probably stop a car from going over the edge if you're driving but if you're on a moped what it does is you hit it and it perfectly launches you over the edge of it, and we fell about 300 feet down this cliff. Uh, Marcy sliding on me, and we get down to the bottom, and we kind of flip over, and then I immediately jump up and say, don't move, you might have hurt yourself, and I'm going, I don't know, what about me? So, uh, so we spent all of my orca in a hospital, because <laughs> Marcy actually had hurt her back, um, and her knee, and so they had to make her in a special corset, that's what the Majorcan said, uh, to hold her steady and to brace her knee. And so we're, we're in the hospital, and we had a good friend of ours uh, who they came, and a lot of the, the women 
came and washed Marcy's hair for her, and they cared for her, and it was this really, in hindsight, I would go, it was one of the best times we ever had, because we just had these windows that we got to see by Orca, but it was just quiet, and there was so much time for us to be there and be in God's Word, even though it, on the outside, you would go, wow, that doesn't look like a good vacation, and we had, in fact, I remember we had a good friend of ours, Cindy Rue, who was with us, and somebody said, you guys are going to be okay. God sure was good to y'all. And Cindy, I loved her because she was this challenging kind of woman who said, well, you know what? I had a friend who was just recently in a car wreck and is now paralyzed. Are you saying God wasn't good to them? And I think sometimes we reflect and think about goodness as being pleasant or easy, and God is good, period, regardless of our circumstances. And what we have tried to live out is that what we do in those circumstances, our faith response, our ability to rejoice, is what we should be doing that brings glory and honor to our Father. And that a lot of times the things that we are in that are most unpleasant, that's what people need to see. Because people can't identify with people who don't have problems or hardships or sufferings or struggles because we all do we live in a broken world full of broken people so it's that way so we should rejoice always because that is our faith response and and it's to a god who is always faithful and then we should pray without ceasing or pray continually again this is also one of those verb adverb statements where it's like you should do this but you should always be doing it constantly You know, and Paul was somebody who lived that out. In fact, I really think we think of Paul as this missionary, and we think of Paul as this theologian, and we think that, you know, God had him right, most of the New Testament. (laughs) We live off those kinds of doctrines and what God revealed to him. But I think what made all that happen was because more than anything, Paul was a man of prayer. In fact, if you want to go through, I would encourage you, go through the epistles sometime and do a study on how Paul prayed. Because let's face it, we get together, we Mickey Mouse being in the throne room of God all the time. I mean, we get, I mean it's not that, it is important. People are sick, you need to pray for them. But most of our prayers, honestly, if we're honest for a minute, they, they sum up with just praying for people that are sick and praying for people that are traveling. We are in the throne room of the creator of the universe, the King God Jehovah. Our Lord Jesus is interceding with us. And if you read Paul's prayers, man, he is about praying that you would be made full and complete and mature, that you would lack nothing, that you would look like Jesus, that you would know completely the fullness of his love for you, that you would be rooted and grounded. Those are the kind of things we should be praying for one another. Because when Burleson looks at Oak Grove Baptist Church, it shouldn't look at a group of people joined together in some kind of membership. They should look at us and they should see Jesus Christ. And how we live and how we operate, our characteristic as a group of believers should look like Jesus. And so we do that by praying all the time. It is really practicing his presence that we keep on praying, that we devote ourselves to prayer. Paul talks about that in Romans and Colossians, that we should be people who are marked by an awareness of God's presence. 
Because really that pray without ceasing, man, that is our hope. And hope that's, that's based on what we believe to be true, not like a wish. Oh, I hope this happens. Oh, I hope, you know, the Aggies might win a game. No, it is hope that, that our hope is a certainty that I know when I leave this mortal coil, I am forever with the King of Kings. And so because I have that hope, Jesus is present with us here right now, but he's with me all the time. And I should practice that presence. I should have that awareness. I should be conversating, talking with him, be conscious of him. You know, and I get it. For some people, you go, man, it's just not my thing. I, I know, I think my dad used to tell a story about these two guys who were crossing a meadow one time and a bull is in there that they didn't see and he comes charging after them and so they take off running trying to get to the fence before the bull catches them and one of them says oh my gosh you should pray and the other one says i don't know any prayers well i know one he goes we'll pray it so he goes okay father for what we're about to receive we give you thanks um (laughs) so maybe it's not just knowing a rope prayer but it is really saying in conversation i want to be going back and forth with jesus um, throughout the day constantly and then paul says in all things give thanks now what he doesn't say is give thanks for everything but basically saying in all circumstances give thanks and that really is, like I said, that's, we talked about faith, hope, and love. That's out of love that you give thanks and show gratitude because there is a God who's sovereign and he's in charge. And so it's not just for the good things. Now, I read earlier this year again, and I would encourage somebody to read these. Their biographies to me are a great way to see theology if you want to read things of saints. In fact, we've had the Lottie Moon offering if you've never read that woman's story, little four foot three woman who in the 1870s goes to China, has this amazing, I mean, a giant of the faith, but not a giant in physical stature. Um, hers is a great story. Uh, I recently reread The Hiding Place by Corey Tim Boom. What a, what a family of faithfulness. And when I think about thankfulness, I think about this. When I think about giving thanks in all circumstances, there's a part in that story in the hiding place where you know her and her family hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II, and they eventually were found out, and they were sent to a concentration camp. And in their concentration camp barracks, horrible, deplorable conditions, malnourished their barracks was one of the most flea infested in the camp you're starving you're miserable fleas just biting on you i can take a lot but bugs are my kryptonite man i just do not like getting bitten and betsy Corey's sister encouraged her so here's the thing too they would share their faith they had a ministry 
they thought nothing changed about their call to fulfill the Great Commission just because they had been arrested by the Nazis and thrown in a concentration camp. They just said, this is our new mission field. And they carried out ministry there. And they met, and they had times of worship and fellowship and study, obviously pulling Scripture from what you'd memorized. But Betsy challenged Corey one morning to say, you should thank God for all the fleas. And she was like, no. <laughs> but begrudgingly, she said, yes, I will. I will even thank God for this circumstance. And what they found out later was that part of what allowed their ministry to go on in that concentration camp, what allowed them to have their secret underground worship services was that their barracks was so flea-infested, none of the guards would want to come into it for fear of getting fleas on them. And it was the thing that kept them safe from the Nazis to carry out ministry. I'm humbled by that story. Because I look at the things that cause me to waver with wanting to be able to give thanks, <laughs> and it's stuff like, oh, my cable went out. <laughs> or I'm going to have to buy a new tire. You know, they're, they're, they're not life-changing, earth-shattering things. But what I have found, that, that those kinds of things, if we choose to be thankful for what God has done for us, all the things of this world grow strangely dim in light of His glory and grace. And I know that there are times where, because I've seen this happen, when my cable has gone out and the cable guy has to come to my house, that there's a divine appointment for me to talk to somebody about Jesus that never would have happened otherwise. And so it's a little bit of our perspective on those kind of things. And lastly, he sums this up by saying, this is God's will concerning you in Christ Jesus. I mean, and so what that really means is that's saying, Hey, what's God's will for my life? Here's what God is willing for you. Here's what he is ardent about for us as a fellowship, is that we would be people who would be defined by rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and continually giving thanks. That those characteristics, that's what God's will is for us. That his ardent desire for us is to be people who are defined by those kinds of things. Now, I will tell you, that doesn't just happen. Uh, that is a lifetime of following Jesus. That takes discipline. It takes practice. It takes effort. So as I wrap up here, I want to just talk about maybe some practical ways that we can apply 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 to our lives. So the first one is just really changing how you look find things to rejoice in every day I mean because they're there now if all you want to find is things to complain about you will see them you will hit the target you're aiming at and if you're looking for stuff to be unhappy about guess what you will find it but if you intentionally go about trying to find things to rejoice over you will find those too I mean we let's face it 
there is this myth that we have as Americans of control. We think we can put a schedule together, we can manage everything, we can be on top of it, that we want to just plan and plan and be in control. You're in control of nothing. And there are so many things, for every list of things that I think I might be in control over, there's a, a thousand things that will tell me why that's out of my control. That at the end of the day, I think there's only one thing that we are able to control, and that is our choice and our response to the circumstances that we're in. And I could choose to respond by rejoicing, and I'm talking in the hard time. To me, faith gets lived out in the mundane, but also in when it looks like the wheels are coming off. And so rejoice, but look for it. Be intentional about it. Uh, and if you practice that regularly enough, what you'll do is you'll start noticing that it becomes a little more natural. Uh, it may feel a little awkward at first. And then practice just small prayers throughout the day. Make yourself aware of God's presence. And we have all kinds of technology we can use for that. You know, in fact, my, my watch won't ever leave me alone now these days. I got a smart watch, and I hate that thing. Because um, at work, it tells me when I need to drink water, and it tells me when I've been sitting too long and I need to get up and move around. And, but what I've done is that I have started using those alarms that I've kept on my watch as reminders for me to pray for people. So my get up and move is, is when I pray for people that I know are out on the mission field or doing ministry. And my drink waters, I actually pray for our church staff and people in my family. Um, I've gotten in the habit of where I try to really, at work, when I go into meetings, Man, I talk to Jesus before I go in there. I ask him to give me and other people in the meeting wisdom. I ask that what we do there, even though, you know, I'm doing stuff at a community college, that it would bring him glory, that it would be used, that I would have opportunities to, to share his truth and his life with people. Because uh, that is my mission field right now. And, and God has just chosen to fund my ministry through Tarrant County College. He's funding your ministry through all kinds of ways where you are too. But small prayers throughout the day. You know, pray for, pray for folks that you see at stoplights. Pray for the people that are checking your groceries out. You know, just get in that habit of learning to pray all the time and continually. And then I would say find, in thankfulness, find new ways to connect with God. You know, if you've just been doing the same old, same old, same old, Try something different. You know, you might want to say, hey, at the end of the day, I want to have not my quiet time, but a reflective time where I maybe keep a gratitude journal, things that I am thankful for. You know, maybe you want to start saying, God, I'm going to start singing. I'm going to start worshiping you more. But get in that habit of going, God, I'm going to turn this over to you. I know that um, Carrie is somebody who has made some life choices at times, you know, our daughter, that have just kind of broken our heart. And there was a time where I was just going to lose my mind over that stuff. Marcy and I, for, for a while, at, at one point in her life, we just were like pouring gas on each other's fire. <laughs> there was not a lot of peace going on there. But what we really came to the realization was we gave her to God when she was little. And we said, God, she's yours. 
And so what we're going to do is anytime we feel anxious or upset or worried or she's in a situation we can't control, we're going to pray. And so we would just be thankful for who God was, and we prayed for her. And what we found is that there was this peace, this joy that didn't make any sense that came over us, and that God did and is doing a work in her life still. Because that was our choice. And it's so ironic that we have access to the King of Kings, and prayer for most of us tends to be our last resort when it should be our first response. There is nothing greater, more powerful that any of us can do than to pray. But we feel like unless I actually physically did something, I'm not doing anything. And I'm not saying it's either or. Sometimes it's both and, but the action should follow prayer. Prayer should precede what we do. And so those are just some things that I would just want to encourage us as a body. And I think about this last year. I think a couple of years ago, Man, here we are, it's holiday season, weekend gone. Man, there's just more and more people here all the time. Brady's talked about it. The number of people, adults that have been baptized, there's life going on here at Oak Grove. And our fellowship, I think, is on a healthy, great trajectory. And it is one of those that we as a group, as individuals and collectively as a body, should rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in all things give thanks, because that is God's will for us here at Oak Grove, um, so that we would take his message and his salvation to Burleson, to North Texas, to the world, as, uh, as we're connected with those kind of folks. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I think Clint's going to come and play some songs. The altar is up here. If you want to say, God, you know what? I need to come do something about where my heart's been, where my focus has been, and I need to be a person who needs to maybe be thankful for some things and rejoice in some things. Come and do that. If you're looking for a church home, come do that. There will be people down here at the front. There'll be, uh, Brady will be down here. Clint will be down here. There'll be other prayer partners. You don't have to talk to any of them. You can come pray. If you want to just see anybody else in this church about what it means to know Jesus, if all the stuff I've talked about, you've kind of gone, well, I don't know if I really get that. It's because what I've said shouldn't make any sense to you if you don't know Jesus, if you hadn't made him the Lord of your life. And you can take care of that today. So let me pray for us. Uh, sir, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the gift of this church, for this fellowship, for this moment. Um, and so we come before you as a community, and we ask God that you would just strengthen us through your power. Holy Spirit, uh, work within all of us. Strengthen our inner beings. Make us aware that Christ dwells in our hearts and that we can bring you glory. And as a fellowship of believers, let us, Lord, be rooted and grounded and know your love. Allow us to fully comprehend all the dimensions of Jesus' love for us. And help us to know you in such a way that we are transformed here at Oak Grove Baptist Church into the image of your son, Jesus. Fill to the measure of all fullness of you, Lord. And we know, sir, that you are able to do immeasurably so much more than we could ever dream up in our wildest imagination. So let your power working within us bring you glory in Jesus Christ here at Oak Grove, here in North Texas, and throughout the ends of the earth. 
Amen.